You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor George Willis, which is from our series, How to Hug a Vampire, Loving People Who Suck the Life Out of You. For more information, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. This morning, we're going to continue our series that I believe, by the feedback that I've been getting, is speaking to a lot of us, if not all of us, in a deep and meaningful way. We're talking about how to not only love God, but love people. I mean, it's our motto, love God and love people. As God loves us, we are to love other people. Again, how many of you have ever noticed how hard it is to love some people more than it is to love other people? That's that's a fact of life, right? We get it. That's what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. How to love the people who suck the life out of us. Or as I like to say, what? How to hug a vampire. Someone asked me, if I'd ever dress up as a vampire and give this message and no, that ain't going to (laughs) happen. How to hug a vampire, how to learn. We got to learn how to love people who suck the life out of us. The first week we talked about those who try to manipulate us and control us. And last week we talked about those who are just uber critical They got nothing positive to say. They're always picking you apart, criticizing you. I don't like this and the way you do that, the way you say this and the way. Today, I want to talk about a specific type of person who we love, but more importantly, who God loves. Some, you know, a type of person who may at at times be super difficult to relate to, maybe work with or, or even love. And, and, and this message is inspired by a couple of messages that I listened to when I was going through a season in my life where I had a hard time, and this is years ago, not recently, where I had a hard time dealing with fake people. I had a hard time reconciling, hey, you say one thing, but you do something completely different. Or you're one way in front of people, but then you're completely different behind the curtain. And it wasn't because I was perfect. I just had a hard time reconciling it. How many of us know someone who kind of comes off as fake. How many of us know someone who could be labeled a hypocrite? They pretend to be one way in public. They tend to say or talk a certain way, but then their actions kind of don't back it up. I think one of the top complaints from non-Christians about Christians is that they're self-indulgent and they're hypocrites. I mean, where did the word hypocrite originate? 
Many of you probably know this. It's a word used before the life of Jesus in, in the Greek theater setting, right? Meaning it's kind of like it's one who hides behind a mask. It's a, it's a stage actor. Somebody who pretends to be something uh, on stage that they're really not behind the mask. A, per, a person who portrays one thing on the outside while living a, a different life on the inside. It seems to me that Jesus had very little tolerance for hypocrisy. If you take a look at Matthew's gospel, you can see how Jesus multiple times addressed this issue. Several times you, you see Jesus saying, he, woe to the hypocrites. Then Jesus says this about the way they uh, were living outwardly. He said this in Matthew 23, verse 28. He said, outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy. So exactly how do we deal with, how do we love, how do we work with, how do we relate to those who pretend to be one way but live differently? Those, how do we love those hypocrites in our life? Because we all, we all will face them at one time or another. Maybe it's your buddy on the worship team. He acts normal, great musician, Praise, but the entire team knows that he's actually cheating on his wife. Maybe it's the student, uh, you know, a young Christian going to CYC every Wednesday committed. You know, he's given praise on Wednesday, but he's partying on the weekends. And he cheats on his tests in school. Maybe it's your boss, talks a big spiritual game. But he treats workers, his, his employees, horribly. He lacks integrity in, in, in how he runs and operates his business, always looking for how to skirt around paying those quarterly taxes or whatever. Maybe it's someone in your Creekside small group. Shows up super on, on fire and quoting scripture in your small group, but then they're yelling and screaming profanities at their neighbor. I mean, we all know someone like that, don't we? How do we respond? What do we do? How do we love them? Do we even have a role to play? How do we love those who say one thing but live completely differently? Listen, in learning how to love them, we, we, we must first understand and answer this question, why do they act like that? Why do they act like that? Why are they saying one thing, but they live com a, a completely different way? Because what we have to understand is their why determines our what. The why they act that way determines what we do. 
Why are they that way? Helps determine what we do as followers of Jesus. Why are they acting that, like that? It could be one of the following. Maybe they don't really know God. Maybe they don't have this intimate relationship. They know about him, but they don't know him. Maybe they don't know God. Instead of being a, spirit, uh, instead of being a spiritual hypocrite, they never really put their, trace, uh, their, their trust, their faith in the life or, or their life in the hands of Jesus. Maybe they just don't really know God. Here's a verse that gets right to the point. 1 John chapter 2, verse 4 says, Whoever says, I know him, but what? Does not do what he commands is a what? A liar. And the truth is not in that person. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't do what he says, he's a liar. In other words, just because they go to church, just because you sing the songs, just because, you know, maybe you give a little here and there, maybe you claim to be a, a follower of Jesus doesn't mean they have been made new in Christ. Never really been transformed by the overwhelming grace of Jesus. It was Jesus who said, and this, this verse scared me ever since I was a teenager. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into my kingdom. Only those who do the will of my Father. Only those. Just because someone claims Christ doesn't mean they have been changed by Christ. Just because someone, you know, that, that this person is not a hypocrite. They are someone who needs Jesus. The reason they're acting this way, the reason they're acting this way determines how we respond. And sometimes we have to just make the assessment, maybe they don't know God. They just don't know God. The second reason Maybe they don't know better yet. They don't know any better. Why are they acting this way? Maybe they're new in their life and relationship with Jesus, and they haven't been taught how they are supposed to live. The Apostle Paul was dealing with this very issue in the church, uh, in the church of Corinth, along with a lot of other issues. But he said this in chapter 3, verse 1. I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. He called them what? Mere infants in Christ. Yes, you gave your life to Christ. Yes, you are changed by him. Yes, you are forgiven, but you really haven't matured yet. Kind of like a, a baby in Christ. This is a person who doesn't need correcting. Like I said last week, this is a person who needs coaching. Remember, why are they acting that way? They don't, maybe they don't know God yet, or maybe they don't know any better yet. This is a person who doesn't need correcting. They need coaching. They need instructing. Why they act this way determines what we do. 
Let me give you a little personal example. A number of years ago, uh, while I was at uh, Generations, I think we, a couple of years into it, um, I had this gentleman come in, uh, accepted Christ, brand new Christian, and he's a good friend today. But he came to Jen, he gave his life, and one day we were out golfing. I could remember as plain as day. And he's on the tee box, and I'm kind of waiting my turn, and he says, hey, PG. Listen, now that I'm loving this, and, and I'm living this life with Jesus Christ, do I have to stop cussing? Because, you know, people think I'm funny. And, and, and people think I'm hilarious, and I don't, wanna, I don't want that to change. So do I have to stop cussing? Because I blank love Jesus. I'll let you put in the description. <laughs> and I went on to explain to him that, listen, Jesus changes us from the inside out. More of him is seen in us and and. and and, and what happens as a result, less of us is seen, more of Jesus, less of us. And at some point, you know, what you're going to say is my response to God's great love is I want to change because of what he's done for me. And you'll know what you are supposed to do when you're supposed to do it. The reality is my friend, he just didn't know. He just didn't know. He didn't know any better yet. He wasn't a hypocrite. Just like those who don't know God. They're not hypocrites. He was new to this relationship with Jesus. He was an infant in Christ. What he needed was coaching, not correcting. Understanding why some are acting the way they are helps us determine what we do and how we love those who say one thing but act differently. Maybe they don't know God. Maybe they don't know any better. Or, or, or here's the biggie. And this is the focal point of our message today. Maybe they know better, but they still disobey God. That right there, friends, is a hypocrite. They know better, but they still disobey God. They really do know but they dishonor God with the way they live. Peter addressed it like this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He said, for you are free, yet you are God's slave. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Don't use the grace of God as a covering to live your life willy-nilly. Don't don't think that because of your relationship with Christ that you are above the rules. Because what do we do? What do we do? What do hypocrites, they, they rationalize, and we talked about it last week, they justify. And it's really just 100% hypocrisy. It, it, you know, it's Christians, those who follow Christ, defending their addiction to porn. Well, if my wife would give me what I want and meet my needs, I wouldn't have to watch it. Besides, it's not hurting anybody anyway, right? It's, it's my own thing. 
I mean, God's going to forgive me anyways. Or maybe it's this. I'm not materialistic. No way. I just like nice things. Or the person who says, listen, bro, I don't have a problem with fill in the blank. I don't have a problem with it. Besides, who are you to judge me? This, this, is, this again is one who knew better, but is now justifying their actions. Using God's grace as an excuse to do what they know is wrong. And what's Peter saying? Peter is saying, don't do it. For those who want to dig into the theological meaning and what's really being said and study the Hebrew and Greek of that sentence, he's saying, don't do it. It means stop doing it. So what are we to do with this type of person, someone who has genuinely been changed by Jesus but continues to willingly disobey? Disobey God. Do we say, ah, it's none of our business. It's his life. You know, he has to deal with it or she has to deal with it. Or is it our business? It's a fair question. Maybe we, we need to ask, should we confront or should we not confront? These are fair questions. How do we respond? What is our role? I, I, we have to understand that it's paramount that we get this right. If we get this wrong, we can possibly push people away from God. Also, it can destroy our witness. It can destroy our witness to those who might be looking at us and see how we handle it. If we're not careful, here's what's going to happen. We're going to hurt ourselves. So how do we respond? Simple. It's how I learned how to do this in my own life. We respond with prayerful confrontation. Prayerful. Prayerful confrontation. Because I know some of us, if you're like me, you just hear confront. It's prayerful confrontation. I want to give you a few thoughts on how we do this based directly on Scripture. You with me so far? Sam, with you. All right. So the first way we do this, we say, God, help me to confront with the goal, the purpose of restoration. You know what restore means? It's to, restore means to bring back and make whole again. Your heart has to be to restore, to bring this relationship back to God's original purpose, restoration. The Apostle Paul said this to, to the Galatians in chapter 6, verse 1. He said, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should do what? Gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. That implies we, we have a responsibility to one another, doesn't it? In other words, you need to see yourself as a guide, not the judge. 
We are guides, we're not the judge. We need to gently lead people back to the better way, a way of life, to a way of life that is lived in freedom and in truth. Listen, your goal is not to be the one who is right. Let's just get that on the table. Your job, the call God's play, is not to be the one who is right. Your goal is to help someone else be right with God. That's your job. And how do we accomplish this? We accomplish it with a heart of love. Not, not being mean, not arguing our opinion, not with pride, but with love. With love. Not, not coming at someone and saying, hey, listen, dude, I am right and you are absolutely wrong. That's not what we're talking about. But with a heart to restore. God, I mean, this, this, this should be our prayer. It was my prayer. God, help me confront with the goal of restoration. That's why I referenced it uh, either last week or the week before when my wife uh, said, man, I, I admire your ability uh, to respond to people who just call you up and cuss you out. Because this is my heart. It's about the relationship. It's about restoration. The second thing is that we need to say or see and understand is God help me confront carefully. Continuing on with our passage in Galatians 6, it says this, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently. But it says what? To do what? Watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Friends, when you are carefully confronting, prayerfully confronting, you have to be extremely careful. Why? Because when you are confronting, you become vulnerable to pride. What does it say about uh, what does it say about pride that that pride comes before a fall Maybe that's why the apostle Paul said the, to the church in Corinth when he said in chapter 2 verse 12 so if you think you are standing firm see if you think you're standing firm be careful that you don't fall When you confront do it carefully as not to open your uh, open yourself up to your enemy. So how do we confront care, uh, carefully with a heart to restore? Jesus taught us. Jesus taught us. You can read about it for yourself in Matthew chapter 18. I want to give you a quick overview. This is essentially what Jesus said. If your brother or sister sins against you, your brother or your sister sins against you. Now here's the deal. He's not talking about Confronting non-Christians. He's not talking about confronting those who don't follow Jesus. He's not asking non-Christians to live according to Christian standards. You with me so far? 
We need to be, this place needs to be a safe place for people to belong before they come to believe. We're not talking about expecting other people to live to a standard they, ha- they don't believe in yet. But he says, if your brother or sister sins against you, here's what he says. Go to them directly and deal with it just between you two. It doesn't say call them out on social media. And for some of us that we're used to doing this, it doesn't say go and rally your friends, rally the troops and and get them to take up your offense. You know what I'm saying, right? Don't do that. Just don't. Go to the person directly. Go to that person directly. And then once you go to that person directly, remember, as a guide, not a judge, have a conversation. Talk with them. Between the two of you. You know why? Because Matthew 18 is talking about restore the relationship above all else. It's about relationship. Jesus says, if your brother or sister listens to you in the midst of this conversation, guess what? You've won them over. If they don't, it clearly says, bring in some support. Not all of your friends that you rallied to take up your offense, but people who are Christ-minded. Maybe bring one other person to be an unbiased ear, or maybe bring two. But if they still don't listen, it says, take it to the church. Take it to uh, the church and bring other trusted leaders in. And, and if they continue, he essentially says, if they, if they still won't listen, you draw the line in the sand and you redefine that relationship. Matthew 18 gives us a, a, a process in how to make things right. Treat them as you would a tax collector or pagan. The bottom line is try to work it out relationally. Relationally. If they, if, if they don't respond, if they won't, if they, if, if they continue to do it, define the line that they cannot cross. We talked about that, didn't we? We have to get this right. We have to confront carefully with a heart to restore Help us to confront care, uh, carefully. And thirdly, it's this. And this is the most difficult one. You already know what it is. <laughs> God, help me see when I'm the hypocrite. Help me see when I'm the hypocrite. This hits a little close to home, doesn't it? Jesus calls to hypocrites blind fools. And the truth is, hypocrisy is one of the hardest things to see in the mirror. So much easier to point, out, uh, point it out in someone else's life. So difficult to see in our own life. I heard another put it like this. Whenever you're most condemning is often a reflection of where you are most vulnerable. 
calling others out about their love of money. You know what it is? You have money issues. Critical the way people dress. But the reality is you're dealing with lust in your own heart. See, I want to be careful when I begin to call others out. You know that whole thing about a speck in yours and, or a speck in uh, their eyes, but a log in yours? I mean, where do you think the speck of wood in the other person's eyes comes from? It's sawdust out of the log of your eye, that's in your eye. I want to be careful when I begin to call others out. So what do we, what, what, what do we know? Not one of us is perfect and every single one of us in this room are going to make mistakes. When we understand that we too are sinners in need of a savior, there's nothing so freeing about knowing that because we don't fix people, God does. We don't fix people, God does. I'm gonna invite you to stand with me this morning. I know this may make some of you uncomfortable, but I want us to acknowledge it together with one another. Turn to your neighbor and say, I don't fix people, God does. Because if you walk out of here with anything, I want it to be that. And that, friends, listen, that should be so freeing to many of us in this room. It is not our job to fix. And when we understand that, then we can prayerfully seek God's help in confronting carefully with the goal, with the heart of restoration, with a heart of love, not pride, not trying to one-up, not trying to make people uh, uh, believe that you, you are right. And we do this as a guide, not a judge, guiding them back to a meaningful relationship with Jesus, guiding them back. So worship team comes up. Because we have to understand the why they are acting like they do determines the what and how we respond. What we need to do. Even if we're the ones that are blinded, even if, if, if we are the ones who are they're blinded by our own hypocrisy. I love what James says, this, this encouragement in James chapter 5, verse 19 through 20. He said, if one of you should wander from the truth and some, uh, someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Again, we don't fix people. God does. Husbands, you don't fix your wife. God does. Wives, you are not going to fix your husband. God does. Some of us, we need to, to break the chains of feeling the responsibility of trying to fix somebody. Because when, when, when we confront and we, when we try to fix, what happens? We become vulnerable to pride. 
Some of us need to go before God this morning and say, God, I'm sorry for not being the guide. I'm sorry for trying to be the judge. I want to see, I want to confront with the heart of restoration. And I want to I lead people back to a better way of life. I want to lead people back to Jesus' work on the cross. But in order for us to do that, we have to go there first. And we're going to have an opportunity to do just that this morning. An opportunity for us to go back to the cross and acknowledge that God sent his one and only son to die on the cross for all of our imperfectness, all of our, our brokenness, for all of our mistakes and all of our sin. And some of us this morning, we need to acknowledge our need for a savior because we are absolutely a sinner. And when you make, and when you take that step, God will begin to change you in a way that you've never experienced before. And for some of you who have been struggling with the weight and the burden and the responsibility of trying to fix somebody, I believe at that moment, God will give, just free you from that. Oh, my job is just to love them because I know God has them in his hand. My job is just to live this life for Christ and let them see more of him and less of me. It takes some weight off of this. It's freeing. Because you'll then realize when you are loved by a good and faithful heavenly father, even if you are the vampire, God still loves you. God still loves you.